over these past 10 months now, uh, soon going to be a year, um, we have become familiar with um, various people appearing on television, not the comedians or the newscasters or the presenters of whatever our favourite show might be, but our political leaders and various professional people in the medical and scientific world. Um, our politicians, perhaps, are more used to appearing on television, maybe not as regular as they are at the present time. And being politicians, they probably would prefer to come on television or in various other forms of media, or whether it's Twitter or whatever, to be able to say something positive, to be encouraging. And understandably so, they've not been able to do that, at least not that often, over these last 10 months. The vaccines and the various ways in which they're being so well um, carried out, the vaccination program is so well carried out with our own country, is a positive sign, an encouraging sign, and, and we should begin to think of the way out, hence they're in a small way, even as a church fellowship, we're drawing to an end the good work that Helen and Ian has done, because we're thinking of the future, and that gives us, and I know our political leaders are happy when they can come on and tell us the positive things. There's others who have maybe not been so used to being on television, but have become quite media stars. And, and, and have become almost professional at that. You just need to look at Professor Whitty or Professor Leach as they appear on television. And um, the joke is, of course, that they might go and get cards from Equity, the, the, Guild, the Guild for Actors and Professional Presenters Union, because they're on TV that much, and they could take up a second career as being TV performers because they have to present things and seek to do it as, as well as they do. But imagine having to present a message knowing that nobody would listen. On the whole, the vast majority of people in the country have listened to what we've been told and do seek in varying ways to work out and to apply what they're instructed to do, including going to get their vaccines, no doubt. But imagine if your calling was to speak and to present things and nobody was really going to pay much attention, or at least very few. And indeed, not only were they not going to pay much attention, but they were going to turn against you and be very vocal and perhaps even physical in the demonstration of their dislike of what you were going to say. You certainly wouldn't then be rushing to have a career in that type of public life. And yet the calling of the prophets, very much in the Old Testament world, was just that they were going to have to speak in the case of Ezekiel and indeed other prophets were actually going to have to in a physical demonstrative way show God's word a visual aid to demonstrate what God's word was and yet they were warned time and time again by God that their audience would not particularly respond to what they heard certainly not very positively the prophet Hosea was told to go and marry a well-known prostitute and then accept that she was going to carry on her profession while still married to him. And Hosea was told that that was to be a visual aid, some kind of visual aid, to the community that was going to be watching and hearing and seeing all that was going on of Israel's prostitution of themselves, um, giving themselves over to foreign gods and to other things rather than the worship of the one true God. 
and the prophet Isaiah, and this is perhaps one that we're more familiar with. After that very dramatic encounter with the Lord in the temple that we read, we mentioned just the other Sunday there, where the Lord appeared in glory and might, and, you know, King Josiah died, the year King Josiah died, I saw the Lord, and he had that vision of the angels worshipping God and saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, the whole earth is full of his glory. And then he hears the voice of God being ministered through what he was experiencing, saying, "Who will, whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Verse 8 of Isaiah 6, the voice of the Lord speaks. And Isaiah carried along in the spectacular experience he had, no doubt said, here am I, send me, I'll speak for you. And God said, go and tell this people, be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their hearts dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. And then Isaiah says, well, for how long, Lord? Thinking, well, it's not much of a job. And he answers, until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken, and though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. And apart from that last little verse that speaks of the hope and promise of restoration, tremendous hope and promise of restoration, the majority of the message, well, let's be honest, nobody particularly would want to get up and have to proclaim that. Indeed, it almost seems, ironically, is that the more that you say, the less people are going to respond to that and are going to become not just indifferent, but actually quite anti the message. Thus is the calling of the prophet in the Bible. But then it shouldn't surprise us. We made reference to Jesus and to him coming into our midst. And I made reference in our opening prayer those well-known verses from John's Gospel. John 1 and verse 9, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him and the whole ministry and life of Jesus in many ways was of that reaction of at best apathy and at worst downright denial disbelief and ultimate death for him and while through all of that that note of promise that out of Israel there would be one who would come who would be the savior was being and is being tremendously worked out. Nonetheless, for the passerby, for the observer, for the one who was watching from a distance, it certainly wasn't a road of success that Jesus appeared to walk on. There was that reaction against from his own people, from the people of Israel, the Jews. We began a couple of weeks ago looking at the story of Ezekiel, and Ezekiel falls very much into the same line, the same story, the same experience. And so if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them up. You actually have some homework to do. 
Um, if you want to follow this story, I would encourage you for next Sunday to read from Ezekiel chapter 4 right through to Ezekiel chapter 13. Oh, hello. You can do a wee bit each day. Ezekiel chapter 4 right through to Ezekiel chapter 13. And please, friends, don't read it out of the authorized version with a minuscule print of a Bible you perhaps got when you were married or when you were christened. If you don't have, I hope you do have by now, if you don't have a modern Bible with reasonable size print and in um, English, in modern English, then get one. Again, contact myself or Helen, and I can assure you we'll make sure that we have a Bible at your doorstep ASAP. Um, but I would encourage you to read through because obviously there's no way in these Sunday mornings we can wear our way or work our way through verse by verse or even chapter by chapter. But simply next week we're going to pick up some of the themes, the themes of the actual message that he was going to present to the exiles in Babylon. We'll look at that more next week. This week, we're looking at what that tremendous encounter with God meant for Ezekiel. We saw that Ezekiel had that tremendous encounter with God back in chapter 1, that, that almost indescribable experience of meeting with the Godhead, Father, Son, and indeed the Holy Spirit, and of how that should encompass everything. We're not all called to be prophets. We're not all called to that particular ministry. But all of us, as followers of Jesus Christ, are called to have an encounter with the living God, to have our eyes open. That's, again, one of the reasons why corporate worship is so important. That's one of the longings that we have, that when we come together yet once again, by God's grace and mercy through the Spirit, we'll see with the eyes of faith and experience. But we can have that in our own homes as we read and as we pray and as we meditate and reflect. The Lord comes to us, perhaps not in the way it comes to Ezekiel, but he comes to us to minister and meet with us, God with us, Emmanuel. And Ezekiel has that tremendous experience, and he's called to be a prophet. And really the theme, the theme that runs through these verses, but runs through the whole book, is actually from chapter 3 and verse 16. And that's really the, the kind of center, the, the center of what we're looking at this morning, where at the end of a period of time, which we'll mention in a few minutes, at the end of seven days, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the people of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the people of Israel, so hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. Now the watchman, I'm afraid probably in biblical times it would be the man, the watchman had an important job to play in biblical times in the ancient world. Their job was to be on guard on the walls of the city, to guard particularly the entrances and exits to the city. They were to do that during the day, but also during the night. Their job was to ensure that only those who had business and had cause to come into the city would come into the city, that only those who had cause to leave the city would leave the city. Their job was to make sure that no bandits or tax evasers or anybody else would try to sneak out without going through due processes. But even more than that, their job was to be a warning if enemies were coming, if there was to be you know, those who were to attack the city, 
and use force against the city. We see that even today if we go and visit some of the castles of our own country and of the walls and the battlements and the towers. And they are there in the same way as the, city, the walls surrounding Jerusalem or other cities of the ancient world. They were there to do the very same thing, to give one height. That's why so often cities and towns were built on places of prominence. So they would be able to see out and over the, maybe not the horizon, but certainly over the, the ground roundabout so that they could see what was happening, keep an eye, indeed to protect those who maybe were working in the fields and, and providing the food and the nourishment outside the city walls. Those who were working out there, keep an eye of protection over them so that they were under threat they'd be able to call out the soldiers and be able to come and protect them but also as I say to be a warning and so they were vital, vital to the well-being and to the healthy functioning of society and therefore to fall asleep on the watch to become party to those who were going to threaten the city whilst on the watch you know to secretly let them in or whatever to be bribed whilst on the watch all of that was regarded as heinous crimes, crimes that indeed could involve the death of the watchmen. By their failure to do their job, they were becoming party to the damage, great damage being done to the people. And so Ezekiel's calling to be a watchman, especially in the context, and we'll see more of this next Sunday, of all that was going to happen to Jerusalem and everything else, his calling to be a watchman is significant. Now, as I said just at the beginning, or just a few minutes ago, we're not all called to be prophets. We don't all have that ministry. But nonetheless, there is a sense in which all of God's people are called to be that light, that lamp that's set in the midst, that's to give out the lamp of the light of the glory of God. We're called to be salt. We're called to be those who, by our lives, bring in something of the flavor and something of the impact of the kingdom. And so all of us, perhaps, certainly corporately as a church, have our calling to be a bit like that watchman, to be the, those who are alert, those who are on their guard, because Jesus exhorts the disciples to pray and to be alert and to be on their guard. We're called to be like that, and by our lives, and yes, by what we say, make known the message of the kingdom. A message that warns people and calls people above everything else to repent and to believe. And we have to confess, do we not, both individually and corporately. And as I was saying just on Thursday evening, I think it was at our, our wee time in Zoom, looking at some of the, the bigger, more kind of legal issues that are going on today. So many of us, including myself, have been influenced by a privatized and, and very pietistic view of the faith, which concentrates so much on just me and what I need and how I am, that we've lost sight of both corporate responsibility and our calling to be that prophetic watchmen and watchwomen in our society. And yet the calling of the follower of Jesus is to go and to make him known, to speak out and to speak into the settings in which he has placed us. 
Luke, for instance, again, Luke chapter 10, we read this after the Lord, the Lord Jesus appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. They were to go in front of him and prepare the way. And he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. And when you enter a house for say peace to this house if someone who promotes peace is there your peace will rest on them if not it will return to you stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you for the worker deserves his wages do not move around from house to house and when you enter a town and are welcomed eat what is offered to you heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you but when you enter a town and are not welcomed go into its streets and say even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. What are you, Chorazin? What are you, Bethesda? For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon. These are non-Jewish cities. It would be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the heavens? No, you will go down to the hates. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. But whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. And that actually, that calling to go out, that calling to speak, that calling to make known, and that awareness that it's not always going to have to be a positive reaction, that's part and parcel of the calling of every Christian and every follower of Jesus, as well as the calling of people who have a particular ministry. Ezekiel was going to have that experience. Let just, over these chapters, let, let me just read through some of the things that were going to happen to you. Back in verse 4, in chapter 3, the Lord says to Ezekiel, Son of man, go now to the people of Israel and speak my words to them. You're not being sent to a people of obscure speech and strange language, but to the people of Israel. Not to many peoples of obscure speech and strange language whose words you cannot understand. Surely if I sent you to them, they would have listened to you. But the people of Israel are not willing to listen to you because they're not willing to listen to me. For all the Israelites are hardened and obstinate. But I will make you as unyielding and hardened as they are. I will make your forehead like the hardest stone, harder than flint. Do not be afraid of them or terrified by them, though they are a rebellious people. And he said to me, son of man, listen carefully and take to heart all the words I speak to you. Go now to your people in exile and speak to them. Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, whether they listen or fail to listen. The Spirit lifts them up. And moves them on. And again, picking up in verse, seven, verse 18 of chapter 3, when I, say to, when I say to a wicked person, you will surely die, and you do not warn them or speak out to dissuade them from their evil ways in order to save their life, that person will wicked die for their sins, and I will hold you accountable for their blood. But if you do warn the wicked person and they do not turn from their wickedness or from their evil ways, they will die for their sin, but you will have saved yourself. Again, when a righteous person turns from the righteousness and does evil, and I put a stumbling block before them, they will die. Since you did not warn them, they will die for their sins. The righteous things that person did will not be remembered, and I will hold you accountable for their blood. 
But if you do warn the righteous person not to sin and they do not sin, they will surely live because they took warning and you will have saved yourself. What is God saying, both through the warnings of Jesus and directly here with Ezekiel? He's saying to the Christian, yes, to those who have a particular ministry, to people like myself, but others who have a particular ministry, but to all of us, that we are accountable to God for being channels of his word to his people and indeed to our wider communities. All of us have the ability in life and in deeds to commend and to communicate that the kingdom is near. And all of us have a responsibility to make that known. And where particularly leaders of the church, the church as an institution or as a body, where ministers, pastors, teachers, and those who would claim to be servants of God's word fail to communicate that message, then their blood is on our hands. But when we do seek to be faithful in communicating the message of God's kingdom, then the responsibility lies upon the hearer and not upon the messenger. That is, I would say to a word to the church today in these challenging times. And again, I repeat myself, I've said this so often over these past 10 months, indeed over many years, when it's so sad that so many of those who lead the church, especially at a national level, fail to bring the word of God to bear on our times and upon our settings. Where they fail to do that even with the people of God, first and foremost, it's very clear that it was to the Jewish people. The disciples were sent out to their own. Ezekiel was to preach to the exiles. It's to actually the church, first and foremost, that God's word is to come to. After all, the letters of the New Testament were written not for non-believers, but to the church, the church in Christ, in Philippi, or, or in Colossae, or whatever. God's word first begins with God's people. Judgment begins first with the household of God. And so how tragic it is when the leaders of the church, when those who are commissioned by the church to have a watchman responsibility to be channels of his word, fail to bring that word, it's challenge as well as his comfort. We all want to be messengers of his comfort. We all want to be able to say, oh, everything's going to be okay. Next Sunday we'll see what that actually meant for Israel and what that means for us today. We want to do that. But the challenge, especially in these challenging times, is to bring the word of the Lord, which I have to tell you is a word of warning. A word of challenge, a word that's provocative, a word that tells us that there are dangerous and trials, or great trials, around us and before us. And it's your responsibility as the people of God to listen, to heed, to reflect, and to respond. Ezekiel was going to find they weren't going to do that. In fact, in verse 24 of Ezekiel 3, we read, The Spirit comes unto him and raises him to his feet, and he, spe and he speaks to me and says, Go, shut yourself inside your house, 
and you, son of man, they will tie with ropes. You will be bound so that you cannot go out among the people. I will make your tongue stick to the roof of your mouth so that you will be silent and unable to rebuke them, for they are a rebellious people. He's going to physically be restrained. And he's actually at times not going to be able to say any more because what needed to be said has been said. Earlier on in chapter 2, Again, when he's commissioned to be a prophet. Verse 3, Son of man, I am sending you to the Israelites, to a rebellious nation that rebelled against me. They and their ancestors have been revolt against me to this very day. The people to whom I am sending you are obstinate and stubborn. Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, and whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are rebellious people, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them or their words. Do not be afraid, though briars and thorns are all around you, and you live among scorpions. Do not be afraid of what they say, or be terrified by them, though they are rebellious people. You must speak my words to them, whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are rebellious. But you, son of man, listen to what I say to you, do not rebel like that rebellious people. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. I said at the beginning that our political leaders don't like having to appear on television, I'm sure, and having to say unpleasant things, but we have to give them respect. They have done that and sought to be faithful to that over these past months. And rightly so, when they come on to give good news, well, obviously they're very happy about that. We would rightly rightly be angry and reject those leaders of our nation who fail to be honest and open with us and frank about the challenges we faced. We would rightly reject that. So why is it so often within the company of God's people that we only want to hear that which tickles our fancy, soothes our fears, smooths and pats our brow, and makes us feel better. And as I say, next Sunday, we're going to explore what that means in the church today, where there is, not in our own church, I wouldn't say, but in the church generally, where there is that tendency today. That is the calling of the watchman. To be fearless, to be provocative, to bring God's word, to shake God's people out of their comfort zone and to make them waken up to the realities of their time and of what God is saying and doing in their times. And then, far more briefly, how is that going to be enabled? Well, it's going to be enabled because God was going to be with his ser servant. Time and again in these passages, in chapters 2 and chapters 3, we read of the Spirit, beginning of chapter 2, you know, we hear God saying to him, Son of man, stand up on your feet and I will speak to you. And as he spoke, the Spirit came into me and raised me to my feet. And I heard him saying, after he had ate, in a sense, metaphorically, the word of God. We looked upon that last Sunday and, and, and digested God's message, a message, the word of God, which is sweeter than honey. But then as he took it and as he met, dwelt upon it, then as we saw in the book of Revelation, it was a bitter message. It wasn't particularly nice. It wasn't particularly pleasant. It wasn't the kind of message that Ezekiel would want to have to give. But nonetheless, as he did that, we read in verse 12, the spirit lifted me up of chapter 3 and I heard behind me a loud rumbling sound as the glory 
glory of the Lord rose from the place where it was standing. It was the sound of the wings of the living creatures brushing against each other and the sound of the wheels beside them, a loud rumbling sound. And the Spirit then lifted me up and took me away. And then in verse 24 of chapter 3, then the Spirit came into me and raised me to my feet. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, the prophet Zechariah said to the people of Israel at a time of restoration. It's only by God's spirit that God's people are enabled and empowered to go and to fulfill their calling to be that missionary people, to be those people that Jesus sent out through word and deed to commend the kingdom and to give that word of encouragement to those who want to believe and that word of warning to those who do not. It's only by the Spirit of God that the church of God is enabled to fulfill its calling and to be that watchman in the tower, that prophetic voice of God in our times and in our setting. One can hardly be surprised, my friends, when people pay no attention to what you or I or indeed the church might say when we have nothing in truth to say. And when we do say it, we say it in our own strength, in our own wisdom, in our own ability. And they just pass it off as an opinion, as a, perhaps an expression of poor old folk who really can't cope with life are folk who are living in a bygone generation, are people who are locked into a mindset that's irrelevant for the 2020s. And that's what people think. That's what members of your own family probably think. But when the Spirit of God comes in power, when he lifts God's people up and gives them the words to say and the anointing that's required, then we do have the resources to speak God's word in God's time and by God's way to God's people and to God's world. And how we need that empowering and that enabling. Perhaps, unfortunately, for some of us during this period of lockdown, we've gone into ourselves, we've looked within, and frankly, we've not found very much. I can sadly see some of you aging, very obviously so, when I see you in Zoom and other gatherings, when I see you about. It's been a stressful and tiring time. Fears and worries and pressures of work and demands of family and everything else very much come and press us down and would leave us lying on the floor. And perhaps this morning, above everything else, we need to ask for the Holy Spirit to come and to raise us up and to put our feet afresh upon that rock and afresh anoint us with that new song in our hearts for it's not by our own might nor by our own strength but by the spirit that we will survive this church will only survive this congregation will only survive after a year of lockdown it will only survive as the spirit of God lifts us up and restores us and enables us to move on into what he has for us in a very different kind of world and community. And as I say, next Sunday we'll spend some time thinking particularly what that will mean for us. So there's a calling to be God's watchman. There's a calling to be determined, to see it through, but that only is possible by God's Spirit. And Ezekiel was going to be like a flint stone. I will make your forehead, verse 9, like the hardest stone, harder than flint. Do not be afraid of them or terrified by them, though they're rebellious people. Well, we need the Spirit of God to be that determined. But lastly, 
That doesn't mean that we float about, removed from the realities. Look where the Spirit of God in chapter 3 takes them. The Spirit, verse 14, lifts them up and takes me away. And he goes in bitterness and in the anger of my spirit with the strong hand of the Lord on me. There's a whole series of emotions going on there. Probably emotions both personal and brought about by what he's seen and heard. He is working things through. And can I assure you, right at the beginning, Bass Lacks March and April into me when I would sit there on a Sunday morning during the initial lockdown, I spent much time thinking through and praying and reflecting on what all this was going to mean for us. I have to say, sometimes I did wonder. Look where he goes in verse 15. I came to the exiles who lived at Tel Aviv, near the Keba River. And there where they were living, I sat among them for seven days, Deeply distressed. You see, the watchman on the tower, the watchman who's empowered by the Spirit and confident in what God has to say to his people in this day and in this generation, is also the person who sits amongst the people, distressed, weeping with those who weep, as well as rejoicing with those who rejoice. It's rooted in the reality of the way things are. It comes from heaven. It inhabits the courts of heaven. The glory and majesty of God. It comes to empower, to lift up, to embolden, to clarify, to blow away the confusion, and the distortions, and the weird theology that are all so easily apparent today. And as I say, again, next week we'll dwell upon that. But it also enables us to sit in the pew alongside someone in need. That shouldn't surprise us. For the Lord of glory, the Prince of Peace, the great I Am, took frail flesh and lived among us washed his disciples' feet, gave sight to the blind, raised the dead, welcomed the sinner, as well as warning to those who thought that they were beyond all of that, that God's judgment was at hand. The watchman's in the tower, but he's also in the world. That is our God on this Sunday in this year of his favour. Amen. We're going to hear him now, a version of a psalm, Praise My Soul, the King of Heaven. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we thank you for the testimony of the psalmist from which this hymn was written, Psalm 103, with this past week in our prayer guide. We were invited to read and to reflect on that psalm. Psalm that speaks of your mercy and favor. A God of compassion who remembers that we are but dust. 
And Lord, as we perhaps have heard your word this morning, we have rightly been made aware of our feelings, and certainly the feelings of the church, the watchman on the tower, to speak boldly, clearly, yes, provocatively, powerfully, your word, not only to your own people, and how dire that is, but also to our society, in especially these times. How we need your mercy. How we need to know your favor and your grace. How we need to ask for your forgiveness. And pray for the empowering and enabling of your Holy Spirit. And so we pray, O God our Father, that you would take your word from not the easiest part of of the Bible. The prophet Ezekiel. But nonetheless, you would take your word. And even over these coming days, as we read it through in our own homes, these next chapters, perhaps it will be quite confusing. There will be a lot of bits we won't really understand. Why or how or what. But we pray, O Holy Spirit, how dependent we are upon you. Come, O Holy Spirit. Give us ears to hear. Give us eyes and hearts that are open. Lord, we want to be those who are not rebellious, not those who harden our hearts, or those who are locked down in ways of thinking about the faith, about our lives, and about our world that are long gone for this day and for this generation. Enable us to keep in step with your purposes. And so speak through your word. And may what we can understand be for the edification of our souls and for the building of your people. We remember especially this morning those members of our fellowship who are going through a time of trial and challenge, through their working life, the pressure of that, trying to do homeschooling as well as juggling with everything else. For those who are older, and becoming weary, yes, they maybe have the vaccine, but there's a lot of uncertainty as to what that will mean in practice, being able to go out and about and pick up the threads of life that were once important to us. And so we remember them. We pray particularly for those who are going through a time of real worry and stress for family. Perhaps feel that the pain of distance made worse by the present restrictions, not being able to visit or to see people, to spend time with them, makes our worries and fears and concerns even deeper and more acute. We pray for one another. We would weep with those who weep, as well as rejoicing with those who are rejoicing. So we gather before you, and now just for this last minute, in our own homes, if we can remember those that we used to sit beside in church when we were here on a Sunday, or when we were sitting at one of the fellowship groups or on a Sunday evening, those people that sat beside us, behind us and in front of us, and just for this minute of quietness, we remember them before you. Perhaps some of them we keep in contact with. Perhaps some of them, in truth, we haven't spoken to now for maybe 10 months. And we wonder just what's happening in their lives. And so in the quietness we gather and we remember these people.
Lord Jesus Christ. Hear us as we pray. And now may the one who is able to do immeasurably more than we ever ask or imagine keep our hearts and minds fixed in the love and in the knowledge of him. And may the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit rest upon us and journey with us this day and forevermore. Amen.